series uh, here today called um, uh, When Times Are Tough. Before we do that, uh, I don't want you to forget that we have a special guest coming to be with us today at 1145. Uh, the Reverend Mark Chow is our district superintendent of the Foothills District of the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church. That is kind of a mouthful. Uh, that's his role. And, and um, he, he is my direct report, and I work with him as a colleague in ministry, but also as my superintendent. We're also good friends, and uh, Mark was there at the very beginning when I was ordained in the United Methodist Church, and I consider him a wonderful colleague and friend. He's going to be here to talk to us about the current split that's happening in the United Methodist denomination. Uh, he's going to hopefully share with us uh, the process of uh, uh, what, what is being called disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church. And then also, uh, we've invited him, the leadership board has invited him to come and, and speak to uh, the post-separation United Methodist Church and how some people might be excited about that opportunity. And uh, so he's going to be here to do all of that. We encourage you to come back or remain here, and we'll start around 1145. So friends, uh, let's dive into this message here. And I want to talk to you today about the overflow of generosity. Now, some of you might know where I grew up, but maybe you don't. I, I grew up in a small, sleepy little town called Dayton, Ohio. Well, sadly, it's becoming smaller and smaller over the years as a lot of corporations and industries moved out. Dayton used to be the hub of experience and opportunity for, for Delphi, uh, GMC, uh, uh, Chevrolet, also uh, Standard Register, Mead Paper. You guys remember the old Mead Paper with the spiral-bound notebooks? Uh, that was the, the home offices were in Dayton. A lot of them have moved out. Uh, and, 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 and because of that, there's a lot of struggle and challenge there. But one of the blessings that I had growing up in Dayton, now specifically, I grew up in Englewood, Ohio. We kind of called it Angleweed, Ohio, just because it was kind of out there, right? Kind of out, you know, kind of out in the middle, you know, out from the city. We were just a suburb. And the way I describe where Englewood is, is it's right across the dam from Vandalia, Ohio. Now, most of you are probably more familiar with Vandalia, Ohio, than you are Englewood, because Vandalia is where the Dayton International Airport is. So if you cross, if you make your way across the Englewood Dam, uh, you will find yourself in Englewood, Ohio, which is where I grew up in. Now, the Englewood Dam had all kinds of wonderful experiences for family. It created a natural nature preserve called the Englewood Audubon Society and, and, and Nature Preserve. And so they had all kinds of, uh, they, they actually had a building built with all kinds of uh, interactive activities for kids. They had camps. Uh, we used to go fishing there all the time and hiking. The local church I was a part of growing up at Mont Calvary Lutheran Church, we would go there afterwards for picnics and, and campouts and hiking. And, and one of the favorite things we used to do is we used to sled down the hill of the Englewood Dam. Well, they don't allow that anymore because some people got hurt. I mean, that was back in the day where kids could ride their bikes without helmets. We could ride in the back of pickup trucks. We could drink water out of a garden hose. You know, it was okay if your kid ate dirt. You know, now we can't do any of that anymore. So, so they, eliminated, they eliminated that. And that was back in the day. But, but the Anglo Dam has always had a fond place in my heart for my childhood. So let me kind of build a bigger picture for you as to why it exists. You see, in Dayton, Ohio, there are three rivers that come together. Three major rivers, the Miami, the Mad River, and the Stillwater River. And as a result of it, there, you will find five different dam systems there, or five different lock kind of systems built after 1913. The reason why they were built after 1913 is because the great Dayton flood happened in March of 1913. Now, maybe many Ohioans know about this, but I've run into quite a few that don't. But most people who grew up in Dayton have had this as a part of their history and education. You see, in that March of 1913, the greatest natural disaster in Ohio history, still to this day, the greatest natural disaster in Ohio history 
had storms that dropped between 8 and 11 inches of rain over the course of three days. And as a result of it, it, opened, it overwhelmed the watershed basin of the Miami River, and in doing so, flooded downtown Dayton up to 20 feet deep. As a result, it caused a catastrophic $100 million in damage. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, friends. This is 100 years ago. Consider how $100 million has multiplied over the years. 360, 360 lives were lost, and so that May, they appointed a commission to raise more than $2 million for what they called the Miami Flood Control System that contains these five dams and those projects that began to be built over time to be able to protect the area from future flooding events. And since then, Dayton has never experienced anything in anywhere near as catastrophic as that, so it's been working. So friends, what does that have to do with our conversations about finances? Friends, when water accumulates, it has no place to go. And therefore, it can be, it can be destructive as it rises and floods your homes, floods businesses, takes lives. But you see, friends, water can also be a life-giving experience when it overflows into good places, providing nutrients for growing crops and feeding livestock, giving life and, 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 and blessings like the Englewood Nature Preserve that this young man grew up with at that time. You see, friends, water needs to overflow in healthy ways, and it's the same with money. It's the same with our fiscal lives. Just as lots of water can give life or destroy it, so can money. You see, when money is worshipped, it gets hoarded. It gets blocked up in clenched hands, and it results in greed and grief. And when we allow it to overflow generously where it is needed, the results of it is fruit and life and growth. You see, when money is not allowed to flow out into good places, it results in damage to our own hearts. It winds up with us withholding a blessing from other people. But when money is allowed to overflow in healthy ways, like the floodwaters that we've just described, there always seems to be more than enough. It's just God's amazing way of providing. So we're going to continue to talk today about the outcome of giving in comparison to worshiping money. You see, the former leads to a blessing, and the latter leads to destruction. And when times are tough, it becomes even more imperative for us to get this right, and we find ourselves in tough times, friends. So we're looking to God's Word, and we're also looking to one of the founding fathers of Methodism, John Wesley. You see, for 151 years, Rolling Plains Church has been a part of the Methodist movement that began with John and Charles Wesley who started meeting in class meetings, bands, and societies in old Oxford University while he was teaching there. And, and they had this regiment of questions they would ask each other, a call to discipleship that was so specific, so planned out, and so methodical that somebody derogatorily called them Methodists, to which now is an endearing term to us all these years later. And so, friends, we've been looking to John Wesley to assist us alongside of God's Word to help us understand these biblical principles around handling finances. He had a sermon, and almost all of his sermons are a part of our United Methodist polity, uh, our book of discipline, and our procedures, and our articles of faith. And so, in one of his sermons, he talks about handling finances. He says three things. Earn all you can to save all you can so that you can give all that you can. And we're leaning on those principles to help us have healthy fiscal lives. 
So let's turn into God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth, a church that he started. And he's writing back to them to encourage them to live the generous life that he taught them at the beginning, and he is now reminding them that they committed to. And so he's also warning them that he's doing this because he's about to send Titus and some other colleagues to collect their offerings for the needy, okay? And so we're going to look into verses 6 and 8 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So friends, if you're taking notes, you can say this, an overflow of generosity begins as gratitude that wells up in one's heart. Let me say that again. An overflow of generosity begins as gratitude wells up in one's heart. So if you want to worship God instead of worshiping money, God would instruct you to enter into a journey of overflowing generosity that starts with gratitude. Because like the spring rains and the rising water of that Dayton flood I told you about, we're going to let gratitude well up in our hearts as a form of worshiping God. Focusing on our stuff and focusing on lack and fear of money is also a form of worship. It's a form of worshiping our material wealth. And what gratitude does is gratitude comes along with the power to break the downward spiral of negativity, fear of lack, and selfishness. And he starts to lift you up. Gratitude always starts to lift you up when things feel down. Like I said, we live in challenging times. So the next time you walk into the grocery store, like me, and you get all crankled when that bag of Doritos that used to be $2 is now $5, a 12-pack of Orange Crush is $7. I'm very specific with my pop, okay? Or soda, depending on where you're coming from, right? Or you start freaking out that bacon may be like $20 a pound soon or is there now, or that gasoline is $4 a gallon. All of a sudden, in that moment, what I do is I find myself starting to count and add up all of the blessings in my life. You see, you can have an attitude of fear, of lack, of selfishness, or you can have an attitude of gratitude. You heard me share a couple of weeks ago of the story of my uh, used pickup truck. It has 210,000 miles on it. I love that thing. It's got a little bit of rust underneath, uh, but it gets me to where I need to be, and I was able to purchase it underneath the cash budget that I had. We didn't have to go into debt to be able to get it. We refused to do it in that moment. And God delivered that to us, only to discover that it needed about $2,500 worth of work on the air conditioning system. And now we're talking about needs versus wants. Friends, I'm 50 years old, and air conditioning has moved from a want to a need. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? And, and so I told you the story about how I had to spend this money. So I don't want to go back into that. But the day that I had to show up to pick up the truck and make that last payment, cash payment, of $1,850 was the same morning we woke up to our toilets backing up in our house. Am I talking to some of the right people here today? You understand, they come in threes, don't they? And so the toilets are backing up in the house, so we had to call a champion. They came out, and they emptied out our, 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 our septic tanks, praise be to God, to the tune of $400. And then that same day, we realized that once champion had left, that our toilets were still backed up. 
because some of the stuff that's in your septic tank got pushed back into the system, and even though it got emptied, it now needed to be cleaned out. So we did a cha-ching to another $150 for a plumber to come out. And you want to know what? I could have got crankled in my spirit, but I found myself that day thanking God for transportation, thanking God for a roof over my head, and thanking God for indoor plumbing. Can I get an amen from somebody here today? Now, friends, I want here to tell you that it's a matter of perspective and attitude. I felt so thankful for what I had. And when you notice yourself focusing inwardly on a lack, on a fear, on just your own personal needs, start making a list. Start journaling. Start speaking that list out loud of all the things you're grateful for. Share it with a loved one at the dinner table. And if you don't have a loved one that lives in your house, come share it with me or a friend. You know, just sip over a, a cup of Coke and just thank you. Thank God for all that you're blessed by. And you count up and add up all the blessings of the needs that you have in your life. And you thank him for that job where you have a lot of trouble at. You thank him for that financial provision even when you feel lack. You thank him for the season of transition in a job that you might be going through. You thank him for the blessings of your spouse even though the spouse may drive you crazy from time to time. You thank, you for the, you thank him for the joys of singleness even though you may not want to be single anymore. You thank him for the joys of having children even though it may feel like a zoo in your household. You thank him for the parents you have in your life even though they might feel like authoritarians. You thank him for the health that you have even though you might be battling cancer. Oh friends, you thank him for the food in your belly even though you might struggle to pay the next bill. You thank him for the beater car that you're driving, even though the side effects on the ground might be missing and it may have rust and it may be making all kinds of noise. You thank him for the chores that you have because at least you have a home. You thank him for the broken things in your life that need fixing because at least you have stuff that needs to be fixed. You thank him for the delays that allow you to pause and get quiet before God. You thank him for the homework that you have because at least you know you're about to get an education. You thank him for the breath that you see on cold winter mornings because at least you know you have breath. Somebody's going to praise the Lord here this morning. Somebody's going to praise the Lord here this morning, friends. And it's an attitude of gratefulness, friends. We can look at it as a problem, or we can look at it that God is going to provide. Friends, God has blessed each of us abundantly and supplied our needs. So, so don't be an ungrateful recipient. Let the gratitude well up in an overflow of generosity. Did you feel that as I was listing off all those things that could be struggles, but instead we're going to name them as blessings in our life? And so that goes on in the verse 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Friends, did you know that the kingdom of God, the language of the kingdom of God, our God is increase, enlargement, and enrichment. Now friends, you might sit here and say, well, does that mean that God's gonna give me a million bucks? Why does it always have to be monetary? Isn't our God bigger than that? Can he bless you relationally? Can he bless you with joy and peace of heart? Can he bless you with the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit in your life that gives you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control? Anybody filled with that is enriched with the blessings of God. So friends, let's stop asking the question about whether God's gonna fill our pockets with money, and let's just see if God's gonna fill us with his Holy Spirit, amen? And so he's gonna, he's gonna increase, friends. He's gonna, he's gonna enrich, he's gonna enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing. Everybody say that word, overflowing. You can bounce a little bit when you're saying that too. Overflowing in expressions of thanks to God. You see, friends, giving is a major act of trust. 
Giving is an act of trust. God, I trust you for my needs more than I trust my own bank account. Now, it may be scary, but many trust Jesus in every area of their life with the exception of their fiscal life. We basically say, God, I trust you as Lord and Savior, but I'm going to keep control of my wallet. I'm going to keep control of Apple Pay. I'm going to keep control of my my financial portfolio, my bank account. I'm going to hold that back as a result. And friends, it can cause, and if, if, so friends, here, think about this for a second. If you can trust God as Savior, if you can trust that God is good, if you can trust that God is faithful, then we can trust him that giving is good and that his statements are true about giving. Take Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 out of the Old Testament and what God says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the the, the floodgates of heaven, and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You see, friends, God teaches us that a tithe is the first 10% of everything that comes in in our life that's been set apart, that belongs to God. It's not ours, it's his. And, 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 and it puts him first. It allows us to worship God with our best. And it's an attitude of trust as we trust him to bless the rest, according to Malachi and God's word. You see, tithing teaches us a prioritization of our life around God. It teaches the abundance mindset that puts our faith in God's faithfulness. And I've never met anyone who has regretted the practice of tithing. I'm going to take an even bolder step to say, I've not ever really met anyone who tithes faithfully and complains about money. That, 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 that complains about not having enough, that the, the, that the bills are higher than the income. And in some cases it is, but they're not complaining about it. In other words, it's amazing how tithing transforms attitudes of people. And I've never run into anybody that either regrets it or complains about their fiscal life. It's just crazy. We think that if we give, we're going to miss out on something. But when you give, you're partnering with God in joyful obedience, and it just works out. And those that aren't generous towards God are actually missing out on miracles and the wonders of God and his promises, according to Malachi, because God is about ready to burst open the doorway of heaven, the power of the Holy Spirit, to fill his people if we would yet be obedient in those moments. And it's because we are dependent on our bank account and not God and his blessings. You see, when the waters rise due to heavy rain, you must give it a place to go. And so after the Dayton flood, the new flood control system released water into areas that needed it. And so a young man like me got a chance to experience where water was given in healthy ways. So as our heart wells up with gratitude, we're going to let it overflow in a generosity in every area of our life. You see, when money is held back from God, it turns into destructive greed that can cause damage in our life like flooding. You see, when we share our financial blessings and give it a place to go, our overflow blesses others. So because of that, we're going to plan our generosity, plan our generosity, and ensure that we are giving it a good place to go. Without a plan, good intentions will fall flat. That's why Paul was writing the Corinthian church, again, to make sure that they had a plan to do what they promised to do and to give generously. You see, he gives a reminder because he's going to be sending his colleagues to collect but also because it inspired another church, the Macedonian church, to do the same thing that the Corinthian church did, but also because Paul knows that the human attitude slips and slides too. You know, well, hey, listen, we wanted to give, but I ate out too many times this week, or we wanted to give this month, but a sale that I couldn't pass up on came along. 
We wanted to give this month, but a few extra birthday gifts needed to be purchased for my loved one. We wanted to give this month, but we needed to get a slightly newer car once we got to the lot than we really realized that we thought we might need. We, we wanted to give, but we needed the latest I whatever. See, Paul knew excuses would come just like they do for us. And you say, Pastor John, why is it that we do a sermon series on giving and we cover almost the same scriptures every year around October? You want to know why? It's because we need to re be reminded just like the Corinthian church did. <laughs> we, we need to be reminded because good habits slip and slide when it comes to money and finances, and all of a sudden we conveniently forget the promises of God. And we need to be reminded in the most important area of our life how we handle finances, and Paul knew that. Paul was telling them, I want you to have a plan for you to be able to give generously with joy. See, without a plan, we're going to feel like it's a heavy burden. Giving is good and godly and fun. And to plan it first and to be intentional every week just brings an extreme amount of blessings and joy into our hearts. And so that's why he opens up this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. This is before all that we've read today. He makes this statement. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. It's coming. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So what he's basically saying is decide right now to do the good and right thing for you and for me here today, more than 2,000 years later. What Paul is saying is it's not okay to give nothing. Start somewhere. Every single one of us can give something. Budget a certain percent of your income to give and increase it over time, and soon you'll find yourself at God's minimum, the biblical tithe of 10%. And we all have a next step. Take it today, whatever that might be. Take a leap of faith. Start with the tithe. Start with 10% today if you've not been doing that. Because some, and for others, it could be easy because you've been given 10% for a long time. And you want some real joy, start giving above and beyond the biblical tithe. People are going to think you're crazy. Your own family members might think you're crazy. But what if you gave above and beyond to Advent Conspiracy? We have three incredible projects that are coming. One of them is going to include a rice packing party for our church in February, where we're going to turn this whole room into a chance to pack meals. Uh, we're going to need about 150 volunteers, and these meals are going to go around the world to bless people. Friends, what if you, what if you gave above and beyond to a capital fund campaign to continue to pay down on, on our debt? Praise be to God. God. God is getting us close. We're getting to the very end. We're, we're almost getting uh, to $200,000 left on this note. And, and so when we, we do things like having trunk or treat and when we have end zone and we, and we have basketball courts appearing out there and God doing new things in our life like the major project and Operation Christmas Child, all of a sudden this gratitude wells up in a generosity that says, I'm going to give above and beyond. Praise be to God. You see, friends, you count out give God. But somebody's going to say, it sure is fun trying. It sure is fun trying. You're going to find joy in being able to give a shoebox through Operation Christmas Child. Find joy in adopting a family at Christmas time for Helping Hands Ministry in a partnership with Maysville Schools. You're going to find joy when you do the manger project and you plot down $20 to purchase the building materials to make your own manger, take it home, and fill it with goodies throughout the Christmas season and then find a family or a business or organization to plop it down on their front door and walk away and bless them with on New Year's Day and for them to say, oh, there are still some Jesus people in this world. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And all along the way, you're going to be teaching your children 
the blessing of celebrating our gratitude by giving it away. Talk to your spouse, talk to your spouse, talk to a family member, talk to a friend about giving. God loves a cheerful giver. And I can't wait to hear the stories of what God does in and through you as a result. You can worship money or you can worship God, but you can't worship both. And giving helps us break the bond of greed and materialism. Holding back brings a flood of grief and destruction to life. And so let our gratefulness well up inside of us to an overflowing generosity that sets us free to experience the joy of giving as an act of worshiping God that fills our heart and blesses other people. Give cheerfully in whatever amount God prayerfully puts on your heart and start there. Ask God to stretch you beyond what you've been doing. Don't wait until you have enough to give. You'll never feel like you have enough. Friends, if I waited to have enough money to get married, I'd still be single. If I waited to have enough money to have kids, I'd still not have children. Can I tell you right now, having a child is not a sound financial investment, and you want to know what I say to that? You want to know what I say to that? I said, who cares? Because I love my kids. And if you think that serving God feels a little, little struggle financially, I'm here to say, who cares about that money? It's all God's anyway. And why don't we give it and put it into his hands and allow the Holy Spirit of God to stir our hearts and stir our hearts because we're children of God and we want other people to know him as such and to be set free, to be set free. Friends, you're never going to have enough. You'll never feel like you have enough. That's what the world says. You need more. Well, friends, we just need more Jesus. We've got to trust in his goodness to do what he said is good to do and to allow God to lead us and guide us with the biblical tithe. Friends, I'm going to wrap it up here, and then we're going to pray. Number one, release your grip and let it overflow. These are your action steps. Release your grip on whatever it is and let it overflow, because otherwise it's going to back up into your system and create all kinds of catastrophe. Number two, take your next step in giving. Everybody has a next step in giving. Everybody has a next step in giving, including my family. Number three, try budgeting the tithe for 12 months and see what God does. Friends, I want to encourage you to take God up on the the promise that he gives you in Malachi 3.10, that if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food enough in my house, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it, friends. Well, friends, we're going to earn all we can so we can save all we can so that we can give all we can. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would guide us and lead us in all ways and in all things today. And as the band makes their way forward to close us with this song, Lord God, we pray that your teaching and your word linger into our hearts to guide us and lead us as your church, the family of God, who you've called to come together for such a time as this, to take our tithes, our talents, and our treasures and to make up your body that blesses each other, our community, and our world. Lord God, thank you for sustaining us, blessing us, and carrying us through 151 years of incredible ministry. And we know that it's going to continue on into the future because you're a faithful God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand for our closing song. And when you do so, um, some of our prayer ministers